0: Be do pray that for us, that you will be the center, the center of our lives, the center of our attention, that we won't be distracted or turn our gaze from you. Thank you for this morning and for this opportunity to hear from you. We love you very much. It's in your name we pray.
1: Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, good morning and welcome. It's good to see all of you this morning. My name is Tim. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Just have a a few announcements before we get into our teaching time. Uh, for those of you here and those of you who might be watching uh, online as well, I just want to remind everyone that we have three of these gatherings now, uh, 9, 1030, and noon. Uh, the noon has been the the last one to, to fill up each week, and so it's the one where there's the the most space. Uh, the, the earlier ones seem to fill up the quickest, and so if you're thinking about registering in future weeks you can kind of plan accordingly based on that you can sign up on our website uh, a link also comes out every sunday in the email uh, that gets sent out with uh, with the sermon so we'd love to to see uh, all kinds of folks get an opportunity to come and uh and worship together uh, because it's been a while right Uh, Just a few housekeeping details uh, that we cover each week when we gather. Uh, As you probably uh, noticed, and if you've been here before, the downstairs is closed, the upstairs is open. Uh, There's the main bathroom that's open here on the main floor, which is through the the middle doors or either the side doors back here over in this area. Uh, The giving box is right back through the center doors uh, in the center. And I'll be outside at the end of the service. Love the opportunity to say hi uh, on your way out. Everybody comes in this way and leaves this way because we have another group coming in in uh, at the end over from this side. And then lastly, I want to give you an opportunity uh, for those of you who have thought about it. We've started to get some, some requests for this, which is great, uh, Which and we haven't done it in quite a while because of COVID, uh, but we're going to have a baptism in a couple weeks. On Sunday, November 8th, it'll be at 2 p.m. over at the, the Northeast Building, uh, right by Irving Park in Northeast Portland. If you have not been baptized, if you've become a Christian or, or maybe you were baptized as an infant and you want to do so as a believer, we would love to have you make that profession of faith that the Bible talks about uh, and be baptized. You can sign up on our website. Uh, and if you have any questions, you can email uh, Gina R. which is just Gina uh, at doorofhopepdx.org, and we'd love to get you signed up for that in a couple weeks. Well, uh, I'm going to be teaching today, and uh, as has been the case recently, uh, when I have been, we're going to be in the Psalms again. We're in the middle of a, of a larger series right now that we're calling Disciplines of Grace, looking at, at spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, things that we we do practically in life to work out our relationship with God, practically speaking, and and this sermon today is... It's not exactly uh, another message in that series, but it's, it's very closely related and, and is going to uh, kind of work out some things that, that Josh might reference as we continue next week uh, back in the, the series on disciplines. Uh, today we're going we're gonna to be in Psalms and we're going to cover probably the best-known Psalm of all time, one of the best-known passages maybe in the whole Bible. It's like the greatest hit of the Psalms, and that is Psalm 23. Uh, it's a psalm of, of confidence in God who leads us like a shepherd, who cares for us in the midst of darkness and difficulty. And it really points to the disciplines that we've been talking about in a very practical way as it, as it spells out what it means to, to, to follow God as he leads us, particularly to follow him in faith, which the Bible describes as being sure of what you hope for and confident of what you do not see, following God when the way is is dark and shadowed and not clear. That's what Psalm 23 is all about. Uh, Psalm 23 is written by David, uh, as are a lot of the Psalms. There's a bunch of other authors too, but It's written by David and it doesn't give any backstory. We'll reflect on this a little bit because even though it doesn't, some of the Psalms give a backstory to kind of set the context, set the scene uh, for how this Psalm came to be. It doesn't give us any of that but there's a lot that we can talk about and reflect on that went on in David's life that I think leads to uh, this this poetic Psalm of, of Psalm 23. It's it's really divided into two sections, uh, two, uh, not exactly in half, but two parts, and it really follows the line of, of two different images, two different metaphors, uh, God as shepherd and God as host. So that's what we're going to look at. And each time when we come to the Scriptures, and this is a lot of how... I teach when I get the opportunity to do so, I'm always asking three questions. Sometimes they're in different orders, sometimes they're mashed up a little bit, but there's always three questions. And these are three questions that I would encourage you to ask every time you come to the Scripture as well. First of all is, what is being said uh, right in in the words? What would have been said, for example, in Psalm 23, uh, to the people who first heard it? What would it have meant to them? What's the original meaning of the author? And then secondly, the second question is, How does it connect to Jesus? Because we believe that all Scripture, this is what Jesus taught, all Scripture is actually pointing towards Him and is about Him. It's either pointing to or responding to Jesus. And so there's always a connection to the life, death, resurrection, and return of Jesus. And then, after we've asked those two questions, what did it mean to the original author? What did it mean? Uh, How does Jesus connect to it? Then we ask, How does it apply to us? And so we're going to look at those three things, kind of around, mashed up together in the midst of all this, but always returning to those three questions. So let's look at Psalm 23, the well-known words of Psalm 23. And it begins this way, The Lord is my shepherd. Well, every time in the Old Testament you see the words, the Lord, particularly when it's capitalized, as it almost always is, it's shorthand for referring to to the way God revealed himself in his proper name, which is Yahweh. Uh, it's, a, it's a personal name for God that he reveals himself with to his people. And so immediately when it says the Lord, we're talking about a personal relationship. It says the Lord is my, my shepherd, one who lives among and cares for and, and protects sheep, right? And this was a, a well-known image from ancient Near Eastern life, maybe less well-known to us, right? Uh, there may be, if I was gonna ask of a show of hands, who's spent any time around sheep? There might be a couple. I know of one in particular, and I will reference her reflections uh, on this because I haven't, uh, but but, but it would have been a, a, a well-known image and metaphor for those who would have heard this psalm. Even even many centuries later in Jesus' time, it still would have been a very well-known image, not so well-known to us, but the Bible talks about it a lot. It was well-known to David because he spent time as a shepherd as a young man, uh, and and the big idea that would not have been lost on the original audience is that is that sheep are needy, weak, and vulnerable creatures who get lost extremely easily. That's the big idea. So so it. There's a little bit of irony, maybe even a little bit of humor uh, uh, in this, this metaphor that the God is the shepherd and, and we are the sheep. It's, it, it's, it's not an altogether endearing term in a sense. I don't think it was meant to be demeaning or insulting, but it's, it's ironic a bit sheep from what I'm uh, from what I'm told and and, and my friend Sandra here uh, actually when we I taught this psalm in, in our summer bible study and she raised her hand and said gave me a few things cuz she spent some time herding sheep a little bit and they are uh, she's confirmed what I've read everywhere else which is they they're hard to keep on track they wander wherever they will constantly get into trouble without correction and direction that's why sheep Require a shepherd. They're also very vulnerable animals. You never heard of a of a sheep attack, right? Uh, they, they're not aggressive animals. They they get preyed upon. They are not uh, uh, ones who who prey on anything except uh, shrubbery, right? Um, so so this is a, a well known image. God is is called the the shepherd and stone of Israel in Genesis. Exodus describes God as, as leading his people out of slavery in Egypt like a flock by the hand of Moses, who was a shepherd. This is, a, this is a, an image that the Bible uses uh, from the very beginning all the way through to the very end. But there's something really unique about the way David starts this song because he doesn't say, Yahweh is our shepherd. He says, Yahweh is my shepherd. Now, in our day, this doesn't sound significant, right? Because in our day, the individual reigns. Everything is individual. We, we, we can't even escape it. It's the air that we breathe in our current day in America. Everything is individualized. And so, so we almost can't help but read everything that we read in the Bible as, as a personal promise and a personal application to ourselves. But the context of most of Scripture is, is rarely the I, and it's almost always the we, It's rarely you, it's more our. It's community. Everything in David's time, everything even in Jesus' time was about community. It was about nation. It was about, about the plural, not the singular. And so this would have been a shocking statement. There's only one other place where... It references in the Old Testament uh, uh, Yahweh, God the Lord, as my shepherd. And it's, it's Jacob on his deathbed says, says, God has been, Yahweh has been my shepherd through my life. So it, it almost never said in these terms. So it's not just a, a general sense of, of God loving and caring and protecting for his people. David instantly personalizes it. He is my shepherd. And he says, because of that, I shall not want. Because he's my shepherd, I, I will not be lacking. I won't lack anything that I really actually need. And he continues this metaphor for three more verses. He says he says, in, in this language of shepherding, he makes me lie down in green pastures. That's the image of, of taking the sheep to, to food, giving them rest, giving them sustenance, sustaining them. He leads me beside still waters. Now, Here's another little Bible study tip as well. In your Bible, if you're following along in an app or, or, or analog on paper, um, you, you're going to see multiple places in this psalm that have these little text notes. It'll be a little number, and it corresponds to, to a little note at the bottom of your page or something you can click on if it's in an app. And these text notes, whenever you see them, you always want to click on them. You always want to look at them because they help you understand deeper shades of meaning in the original words. This was written in Hebrew, and Hebrew words don't always directly translate uh, fully to their English counterpart. And this is one of those things. It says, he leads me beside still waters, which would make you think it's like a quiet stream, but, but the text note gives us a little more of a sense of the meaning. It, it says, or waters of rest. So he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me to food, he sustains me, he gives me rest beside still waters. He restores, he, he replenishes my soul, the essence of my life. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Here's another text note. Uh, righteousness often in the Old Testament seems to mean like, like right standing with God. And maybe there's some of that con- connotation here, but but the text note says in right paths. it means It's meaning more in this context that he leads me behind the exact, along rather, the exact right path. So he sustains us. He cares for us. He feeds us. He leads us to rest and he leads us along The exact right path that he wants us to go for his namesake, for his glory. And then we come to probably the best known image or verse within Psalm 23 when he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And here again is another text note. It's another strange phrase. The word death actually doesn't show up in the Hebrew, it's a a different word that they have a hard time translating in different translations. Translated in different ways. The NIV, the most recent translation of the, the New International Version of the Bible, of the Bible says, translates it as, as through the darkest valley. This word elsewhere is translated as gloom, deep shadow, or deep darkness. So it could have a connotation of death, but even more so, it, it has this connotation of, of, of a really dark time. And while very few of us can, can relate to to truly being in a a shadow of death like at death's door, all of us can relate to feeling like there's a dark time. And obviously this time that we're in right now in our world seems particularly dark, right? David says, Even though I walk through, through darkness and shadow and gloom, I will fear no evil. Even in the dark, I will have no dread of harm, he says, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Rod and staff each have a a specific significance. A rod was a a short, thick stick that was was used as a weapon. This is is something that the shepherd carries to protect the sheep. So, So... he says, you're with me. I know you're going to protect me with your rod and you will guide me with your staff. The staff is, is a walking stick that was used by the shepherd to keep himself steady, but it was also a stick that he used to kind of redirect the sheep who are constantly wandering off in other directions. The shepherd is, is constantly having to, to use his staff to, to nudge them, bring them back together so they don't wander off and, and separate and get in trouble and hurt themselves. So David says... Yahweh, Creator God, is my shepherd. He's leading, providing, restoring, sustaining, protecting, correcting, comforting, and he is present amidst sheep that are constantly prone to lose their way and find themselves in difficulty and distress. I want to pause here for a minute and and go to one of the other questions that I said we're going to constantly be asking. Um, we always want to ask, how does this connect to Jesus? And there's an extremely clear connection here because all God's promises to be our shepherd, they all come true in an ultimate sense in Jesus. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. In, in John 10, verses 14 and 15, he says, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me just as the Father knows me, and I lay down my life. For the sheep, he says, he says, he is the true shepherd of God's people, and he will do anything to guide and love and serve and protect the sheep, even to the point of giving his own life, which is what he does. It says later, or earlier, rather, in that passage. He leads his people to rest, just like it talks about in in Psalm 23. He says, I am the door to this this sheep pen. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and he will go out and he will find pasture. Jesus is the one who leads us to green pastures and, and still waters, described in Psalm 23. Through salvation, in him. He is the one who ultimately restores and gives life to our souls. He is the one who leads us by the right paths to make us right in relationship with God. And then it also says it later in the passage that, that Jesus, he has more deeply than anyone, has walked the valley of shadow. He says, I am the good shepherd And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I lay my life that I might take it up again. Jesus willingly submitted himself to the ultimate valley of shadow, the ultimate shadow of death, where on the cross he took the sin of the world onto himself and he dealt with it through his death. And he rose victorious over it, making life and relationship with God eternally possible. And it says he will continue to shepherd his people all the way until the end. It talks about it from Genesis all the way to Revelation in chapter 7. It says says the lamb, Jesus is both both shepherd and sheep uh, metaphorically in the Scripture. This is a reference to Jesus. The lamb will be in the midst of the throne. It's picturing this, this epic scene of Jesus' return, and he will be, their shepherd, the shepherd of God's people, he will guide them to springs of living water, just like Psalm 23 says. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And we will enter life with him perfectly forever, just like it says at the conclusion of Psalm 23. Jesus is the ultimate shepherd who knows all his sheep, who lays down his life for them, who leads them to rest, who saves them, who died for them, who rose from death, who leads us through this life into eternal life with him forever. It's a powerful image, but there's one more image to consider before we, before we kind of reflect on what this means for us practically. It, the Psalm 23, it, it starts off saying, Yahweh the Lord is my shepherd, then it shifts in the metaphor here in, in verse 5 to a new image. He switches from Yahweh as, as shepherd to Yahweh as host. This, again, is something that, that, uh, that the deep meaning is, is lost on us a bit uh, in modern culture because in that day to be invited to a meal was an intense sign of, of relationship and connection, almost an endorsement of the people who you would eat with. It's why Jesus got in so much trouble uh, many years after the writing of Psalm 23 because when he would uh, sit down and, and, and have a meal with folks like tax collectors and other people that were considered sinners uh, by the standards of the day, it's why they would, they, they, they felt like that was a huge knock against Jesus. It was something they accused him of. It was like, you, have, you, you even eat with sinners, they would say against him. To be invited to a meal is a sign of, of friendship. It's even more intimate than talking about God as our personal shepherd. He's saying, he's saying he invites us to relationship, to friendship, to, to share life with one another. That's what's behind this one. It says, you prepare a table before me. But there's this interesting image here that that's... There, there's some disagreement as to what it even means among, among scholars when it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Some envision a, a victory feast while a captive captive conquered army is, is watching, and maybe that's the case, but the majority uh, in my study seem to, to see it actually in a, a more even ironic way. They envision it as a table set in the middle of conflict, announcing victory before the battle is even done. And so, so the image is, uh, armies are, are drawn up all along their sides. They're getting ready to throw down, and the army on God's side, according to this image, instead of launching into battle, sets a table with an epic feast and sits down and enjoys themselves. That's the image. And thus, somehow through simply that act of, of sitting down to this feast, they achieve victory. Instead of fighting, you, you declare victory before it even starts. That's the image. Martin Luther uh, did a lot of work in the Psalms. He, he wrote more about the Psalms than anything else. Uh, in his work, in his collected works. I can't remember what it is. It's like 70, 80 volumes and, and like half of it is on the Psalms. He loved the Psalms and he writes this about the scene. He said, I, li- I too would like to wage war if without any danger, care, trouble, and work one could conquer one's enemies by doing nothing more than sitting at a table and eating, drinking, and making merry. That's the idea. So, so it's both a, a profound sign of friendship with God to be invited to His table, and at the same time, a powerful sign of His victory over everything that would come against His people. And, and it continues in this, these images of, of friendship when it says, you anoint my head with oil. It was a, it was a lavish welcome. It would have been a perfumed oil, and as you might guess, if you just care to think about details like this, like in that day, pre-deodorant, it was a stinky, dirty time, right? And so when you came to a host, sometimes they would have a servant who would wash your feet because they were stinky and dirty because you got open-toed shoes with no pavement, right? You You don't have to think about it too long to envision what it would be like. Well, one of the things that they would do if you had the money is you would be anointed as well as part of this process to You'd get washed a little and then you'd get some fragrant oil that would cover up your stank, right? Uh, that was, the, that was a, a lavish welcome to a feast. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows, it says. So he invites us to this friendship meal, this relationship meal of, of victory where, where you're greeted lavishly. And in conclusion, he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This word mercy here, one last note, you'll see another text note in your Bible. It's, it's often translated, at least in the English Standard Version that I'm using here, as, as steadfast love. I don't know why they chose to translate it as mercy in this particular context, but, but it's the, if agape is the word for God's perfect love in Greek, which is the New Testament, Hesed is the word for God's perfect love in the Old Testament. It's God's God's steadfast, perfect, enduring love. And my favorite definition of Hesed comes from the Jesus Storybook Bible, which, if you're a parent uh, and you're looking for a kid's Bible, I could not recommend it more highly. And if you're adult, uh, if you're an adult who 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 struggles to get a sense of what the Bible is all about and how Jesus connects in different places, I would recommend this kid's Bible. It it honestly is one of the best biblical theology resources that I've ever witnessed. It's amazing. This gal, Sally Lloyd-Jones, just in the simplest way, connects the whole story arc of the Bible at every point to the good news of the grace of Jesus. And she describes Hasid as God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. I'm gonna read it again because we can't, we can't hear it too often. Surely goodness and God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So he describes Yahweh as the shepherd of God's people. Then he describes Yahweh as as the host of God's people, inviting them into relationship and fellowship and ultimately victory. And this, again, is is a clear connection to Jesus. Yahweh is the host, and we see it most clearly in Jesus, who invites us to the ultimate meal of friendship. As described multiple places in the Bible, Matthew 26 talks about this scene, one of the final meals that Jesus has with his disciples where he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to the disciples and said, take, this is my body. And then he took the cup, And he gave it to them and he said, this is the blood of the covenant. My blood poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. He doesn't just invite us to a meal of friendship. He offers himself as the meal, which makes it all possible. Again, the Gospel of John, he says, when we go back to the Gospel of John, he says, I am the bread of life. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. We don't take this literally. We take it more metaphorically. But he's saying, saying look, I don't just invite you into relationship. I'm the one who makes it possible. Through my broken body, through my shed blood, As we identify with these things, as we take them into ourselves, we grow in relationship with God. He invites us to His table of friendship in victory over everything that comes against us. And in grace, Jesus gives Himself as the means which makes it possible. That's what we remember every time we take communion. And we remember it over and over again until another meal, the great meal at the end of all time when Jesus returns, which is called the wedding supper of the Lamb, which is described in in very similar terms. It's a victory feast from Jesus' triumphant return where then we will enjoy Him forever, perfectly with Him, dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, just like it says in Psalm 23. And it grieves me, as a side note, that in these times of, of pandemic, we cannot have communion today. It's a bummer. Uh, I almost tried to call an audible and call the staff and like, hey, we just got to figure out a way to make it happen this week. But but I didn't do that to them. And we're a little shy, uh, a little light on staff this week anyway, with, with some folks who are sick, not COVID, but sick. Uh, uh, but, but I would just want to encourage you, the Bible doesn't say that, that communion is something that can only be done by religious professionals. Uh, I just want to encourage you, take communion on your own, take communion as a family, break bread, take wine or juice, remember the body and blood of Jesus. Do it as a community group. Many community groups are celebrating communion. Just because we can't figure out a way to do it without spreading the cooties here uh, doesn't mean you can't do it on your own. I just want to encourage you to do that. So this is the message of Psalm 23. God invites us to follow him like like sheep follow a shepherd, to join him in a victorious meal of friendship, even in the middle of shadow and darkness and death. And I want to start to to turn the corner here from from what is the, the psalm saying and how does it connect to Jesus to what does it mean for us. It's a profound expression of of confidence in God, His leading, His presence, His relationship. But if you're like me, it's really easy for all of these things to feel kind of distant and disconnected from our lives. David and Jesus are are epic figures in biblical history, you know, that are, are many, many centuries removed, language different language, different time, different culture. It's so easy for words like Psalm 23 to to feel so otherworldly, especially in the middle of our day. Our issues seem so much more tangible, right? As we're in the middle of this, this isolating pandemic where there's just fear in the air of sickness, we're experiencing all kinds of of government unrest and turmoil in an extremely contentious election, racial issues, all kinds of things. And then all of us in the midst of this time are experiencing the, 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 the usual more garden variety relationship issues that are all like turned up in intensity because of isolation and all the effects of, of everything else going on stressful in the world. Psalm 23 it doesn't give any background to help us relate to the circumstances it was written in the middle of. But if we even just take a minute to remember David's life, I think we can see quickly, and the life of Jesus, that, that, that it relates much more closely than you might guess. Here's just a, just a few high points of David's life, if you haven't thought about this in a while, or maybe you haven't ever heard it. The, the, Israel had a, had a very first king, and his name was Saul. And he didn't turn out to be a very good king, and God rejected him. He told him that his time was going to come to an end. And in his place, a young man is anointed who will be king, and it's David. He befriends Saul. He ends up becoming really good friends with David's son. He ends up eventually marrying... Sorry, he ends up becoming uh, friends with Saul's son, and he ends up marrying Saul's daughter eventually. But as life goes on, Saul becomes more and more jealous of David because because he becomes more and more successful and Saul is not successful because God is against him. Eventually, he tries to kill David. David goes on the run for his life. At one point, he has to pretend that he has lost his mind to to save his own life. Eventually, things work out. Saul ends up getting killed. David becomes king. He has some good years, but then he ends up in this adulterous relationship. Uh, A son is born from that relationship, the son dies, another son is born from that relationship, he grows up and wants a shot at the title, and and again, he he leads a rebellion against David. David has to go on the run, again, just like he did from Saul, this time from his own son. Eventually, the son is killed, David is restored, he has some more victories, but then at the end of his life, because of of David's sin as judgment, A huge plague comes on David. It says 70,000 men died in less than three days in Israel because of it. David was called a man after God's own heart, but his life was full of trouble and darkness and shadow and death and conflict and betrayal. In the midst of it all and in light of it all, he writes these words, Yahweh is my shepherd. Even in the midst of everything I've been through, I shall not want. He gives me everything I actually need. In the midst of darkness that's deeper than what most of us will ever experience, he writes, even though I walk through the valley of dark shadow and death, I will will fear no evil. I will fear no harm, for you are with me. In the midst of constant conflict, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There were real issues that are so similar to today, even deeper and more profound in David's life. And he writes this in faith, even in the middle. And we know Jesus experienced even more. He's the ultimate shepherd, but as I said before, he also lived like a a, a sheep as well, following the lead of the great shepherd Yahweh, God the Father, from the beginning of his ministry and throughout, he was in constant conflict like David. Jewish leaders who should have worshipped him wanted him dead. His mother and his brother thought he had lost his mind and tried to, to shut his ministry down by force. He had family conflict. Jesus, Even Jesus' own family wasn't that much freer of conflict than ours. He was abandoned and betrayed by his closest followers. He was surrounded by sick and diseased, folks that were coming to him for healing. He was surrounded by government turmoil and and government leaders who didn't really serve or love or care for the people, who came against him, even had folks who he knew, like John the Baptist, killed in an incredibly unjust way. Neither David, the author of Psalm 23, nor Jesus who fulfills it, were strangers to conflict, to darkness, to sickness, to government, turmoil, and unrest. And yet in the midst of it all, they faithfully and continually remind us that God is with his people, providing, restoring, leading, caring, protecting, sustaining, inviting us into closer relationship and keeping watch over us until the day when we'll be with him Perfectly, forever. And so, in conclusion, I just want to challenge you. I want to invite you. I want to encourage you to follow Jesus in this time of darkness. To follow Jesus as, as shepherd and friend. When we come to a, a, a passage of Scripture like Psalm 23, I think there's, there's two different ways to read it. And this is the case with, with a lot of, of the Psalms. The first way is you can hear these words, and as you do so, you feel like you could have written them yourself. Your heart is full of of gratitude for for God's leadership, for God's friendship, for all the ways he's taking care of you, and you praise him. We're going to do that in just a minute together in song. You can do this privately in prayer. You can do this with each other to encourage one another in community. This is the essence of Psalm 23. It's a a psalm of of confidence and praise for what God has done and, and, and trusting that he'll do it again and again and again. So you can read Psalm 23, and one way you can respond is like, yes, that's how I feel. God, thank you. You have been so good to me. There's a second way you can read it. You can hear these words, and if you're honest... I'm sure there's both kinds of folks here today, and depending on the day, you could be either one. You could be in that first camp today. You could be in this other camp by the end of the day today, right? And that's when you hear these words, and they don't seem like you could have written them. Instead, they seem a million miles away. And even after all I've said to try and convince you for why they relate closely today, you still struggle to believe that they're actually true of God because of what you're dealing with. And the response I would call those of you who feel that way too is, is to preach this to yourself as a sermon. That's what so much of the Psalms are, like, like Psalm 42 that I, I taught on over the summer. You, you have to remind yourself of God's truth. Greg, one of our elders, likes to, to remind us, don't listen to yourself, preach to yourself, speak to yourself, remind yourself, correct yourself. Don't just listen to your own thoughts and take them at face value. We have to actively correct ourselves. That's what Psalm 42 says when the psalmist says, "Why is my soul cast down? Hope in God." He he almost like grabs a hold of himself in the mirror and says, "What is going on with you?" Right? Trust in God, hope in God. Remind yourself of how God has been faithful in the past. Trust that he will do it again. The first time I I preached this psalm was in July of 2018. It was in this room, but it was a different church. It was Redeemer Church. And that Sunday, I think it was the first Sunday in July, I I specifically, when I was looking back through my notes, I, I powered through the psalm as quickly as I could, and then I had a big announcement to make. And the announcement was, after a lot of difficulty in our church, after a lot of conflict that had been somewhat resolved but had left us in just a really precarious place as a church, it felt like God had brought us to an opportunity, and that was to join Door of Hope. And It was the first Sunday that, that I announced the idea of of, of potentially Redeemer Church joining door of hope, and I, I talked about the history of Mars Hill, Portland, and how it led to Redeemer Church, and how, uh, how in the midst of everything we'd been through, at that time, second church, same building, now it's third church, same building. We'll see how long we can keep the streak, right? Um, in, in the midst of all that, God had been faithful, and He brought us now to this place. It was a powerful reminder just even to me, like, like to, to read that, even though I, I preached it a couple years ago. I needed to read it again this week to remind myself. It's a powerful reminder of God's faithfulness. And now Door of Hope is in a strange time, a difficult time, unlike any that we have really experienced before. But Jesus is still leading us. He's still caring for us. He's still leading us as a shepherd. He's still inviting us to his table in friendship and relationship. And even though it feels like a time of shadow and darkness, he is with us. And this is where it ties into the spiritual disciplines. Life with God, relationship with God has to be active. Autopilot, just like a sheep without a shepherd, it doesn't go in the right direction. We stray, we go off course. And it feels like that's the case now more than ever. If you're coasting in your relationship with God, it means you're probably not getting closer to him. You you don't just maintain, you either are actively drawing near to him or you're getting further away. That's just the way things are in general and especially now when so much of our life is disrupted. This is why we're doing this series on, on disciplines and, and spiritual practices because we have to be active in reminding ourselves, right? So where you can see God's faithfulness, praise him. Praise him in song. Praise him in community. Praise him and, and, and remind those that are, that are struggling to see it why you trust him. Praise him like David did. Point them to Jesus, whether people know him or not. We can be people of hope, just like the name of our church in the midst of a time that seems so hopeless. And when you're struggling to see God's faithfulness, preach to yourself. Remind yourself of who he is and what he's done for you. Pray Psalm 23. Memorize it. Recite it when you wake up every morning, recite it when you're laying down on your pillow trying to go to sleep, remember that He is your shepherd, that He is leading, that His paths are good whether you see it and feel it or not. Ask God to give you hope if you're struggling to have any. Ask God to change your heart. Ask God to remind you of what He has done for you to care for you and protect you over the years. Let's do that now as we respond together. Heavenly Father, we just praise you for the words of Psalm 23 and the way that it reminds us of who you are and what you have done in our lives. We praise you for being our shepherd who leads us and protects and provides. We praise you for being the host that invites us into relationship and makes, makes it possible through sending your son Jesus to die for us and deal with with our sin that separates us from you. And we just ask now, each of us, that today and each day going forward, we would have a deeper sense of you as our shepherd, a deeper sense of your faithfulness and your trustworthiness. And that as we deepen that sense, that you would make us just signs and and witnesses of hope in the midst of a time and a city that is struggling to find hope anywhere. That we would be ambassadors of hope, and not just vague hope and sentiment, but hope in Jesus and what he has done for us. And it's in his name that we ask these things. Amen. Let's transition now and, and respond to him and praise him for his faithfulness now in song together.
0: Would you guys stand with us? Thank mm-hmm. So when we're silent and afraid Jesus, fill our hearts with praise So we know that you are listening You are the sweetest taste of hope from the grave When we've all forgiven in So when we're silent and afraid Jesus, fill our hearts with praise So we know that you are listening why the sweetest taste of hope from the grave when we've all forgiven in. So when we're silent and afraid, Jesus, fill our hearts with praise so we know you are listening. as we start this last song, I just wanted to uh, remind you guys that uh, there will be some prayer available up front um, after this song. And uh, when you exit, please exit out of this door, not the door you came in. Um, And lastly, we could use some help, as always, cleaning up after service to prepare for the next one. So uh, see Joe after service if you want to help us wipe down chairs and stuff. All right. Join me in singing this last song. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me Keep me within your love My heart will sing your praise again Your promise still stands Great is your faith Still stands Great is your faith trust that you are working everything for your good, for the bringing of your kingdom, and for reconciliation. We believe in your faithfulness to us, and we celebrate you and praise you for it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great Sunday.